1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the Book of Luke. Jesus' fame grew all around Israel, with many people being a fan of his good work but not willing to give up their pride and accept his salvation. Jesus shared that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests and elders of Israel. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 9, verse 22.
2: That Israel rejected their own Messiah shows how necessary the cross is. Because if the nation who received God's laws, God's promises, God's blessings, and God's love like none other fell short, then we all need salvation. If they rebelled against the Lord with all they had, we all need the cross. So the fact that he was rejected, it shows that he had to go to the cross. He couldn't come and set up his kingdom then. And so it says he'll be slain. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Death is the price for sin. God must judge sin. Do you ever get angry at all the stuff you see around you? All the, the junk you see around you, all the, the, the wickedness you see around you, all the, the selfishness you see around you, all the hate you see around you? Do it? Does that ever make you upset? Now you and I, we blow it in those areas sometimes. So we're not perfect. Can you imagine how it would be to see if you're God and you're perfect and you see all these people that you created doing this to the people you created? God has to deal with sin. Angers him. He's angry every day about it. And so he has to deal with sin. But he doesn't want to. He wants to forgive us. And so Jesus became our sacrifice for sin. See, if Jesus is just a good example of sacrifice, if he's not a sacrifice, if he's just a good example of sacrifice, then guess what, guys? We're still in our sins, and eternal death is our judgment. If he's not a sacrifice for sin, thank God he's not a good example of sacrifice, that he is our sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 10 makes this very clear, and I might not have even had to bring this up maybe 20 years ago, but today it's become very popular in the church to deny the idea that Jesus is our sacrifice for sin, that he went to the cross as an example of sacrifice, that he was not a sacrifice for sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 with me, though. That thought could not be more anti-Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to read quite a bit because this is important. Any gospel that does not believe that Jesus is our sacrifice for sin is no gospel. It's bad news. It's not good news. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image, not the very substance of the things, it can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, every year, make the comers there unto perfect. When you would come and bring your offering for sin, it could not wipe away your sin. It could only deal with the very reason you were there that time. The writer explains, for then would they not cease to be offered? If you brought little lammy and, you know, or your bull or your ox or whatever, and for your sin, and that took care of all your sin, then why would you ever have to bring an offering again? So the proof that they had to keep bringing them showed that those offerings could not take away sin. For it says, if it would have, then the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience of sins. We'd have no more, you know, sense of guilt. We'd have no more sense of our need for forgiveness or any of that. But in those very sacrifices, there is a remembrance, a reminder again made of sins every year. You would go and you would get that thing taken care of, but then you'd leave and go, I'm going to be back here again because I'm going to blow it again. And I'm going to need to deal with it again. I'm going to need to get it covered again. So even in your forgiveness, you'd be reminded that you weren't fully forgiven. For it is not possible, verse four, that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he said this. That's not what you want, God. You're not looking for these continual offerings day after day, year after year. Sacrifice and burn offering, that's not what you wanted. But you wanted me to do something different, a body you have prepared for me. For in burn offerings and sacrifices for sin, you hast had no pleasure. You, that didn't satisfy you. That didn't satisfy your wrath for sin. So then I said, I'll do that. Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. You said that I I would take away sin, so I'm going to come do that. I'm going to come to do your will, O God. Now, above when he said, sacrifice and offering, he's quoting from the Old Testament here, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, that's not what you wanted. Neither had pleasure therein, which were offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do your will, O God. It shows very clearly that he's taking away the first set the first covenant, those Old Testament sacrifices, so he can establish something new, a new sacrifice. And here it is. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of what? The body of Jesus Christ once for all. He was our sacrifice. He says, and every priest stands daily, every day, ministering and offering oftentimes the very same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus After he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, himself, he sat down on the right hand of God from that moment, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. It is finished. No more sacrifice needs to be made. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. And as a result, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For he had said beforehand, he had prophesied beforehand that this is the covenant I will make with them. I'm going to make a better covenant with them. After those days, says the Lord, I'm going to put my laws into their hearts and into their minds where I write them. And how can, how can God do that? How can he make us different on the inside? For their sins and their iniquities while well, I remember no more, completely wiped out. Now where remission of these is, our sin, there's no more offering for sin. We don't need another offering. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He is our atonement. He satisfies all of God's righteous requirements. He satisfies all of God's wrath for sin. And as a result, now you and I, our conscience can be clean. We can be fully forgiven and free when we come to Christ. Isn't that awesome? So he had to be slain. If it all ended in death, that still wouldn't be enough, though. So Jesus says, and be raised the third day in verse 22. He would have to be raised the third day. For the resurrection is proof that God accepted his sacrifice, that it truly is finished, that sin is conquered, and I can have a new life. If that stirred your heart as I was going through all these things, it's because the gospel is all right here in this one verse. It's all right here. The entire gospel, the Son of God became a man, lived like we did, yet without sin, but we rejected him. So he died on the cross for our sins and was raised that we might be justified. That is Jesus' plan. He's revealing it to them. That is the Messiah's mission. He had never said this to them before. They should have known it from the word, but they didn't. But he had never said that to them. So this was like somebody dropping a piano on top of them. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew tells us that after Jesus said this, Peter pulled Jesus aside. You don't want to embarrass God when you rebuke him. He pulled Jesus aside and he rebuked him. And he said, no way, Lord. This is not going down like that. That is not how this ends. So in the same day Jesus called Peter especially blessed, he also compares him to Satan. (laughs) Because he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not desire the things of God, you desire the things that man desires. He was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross and that is a satanic idea. For the idea that Jesus is a good man or just a good example or even a good teacher, they're all satanic, if that idea alone. Our enemy has no problem with those opinions. If we hold that, you hold that opinion of Christ, the devil leave you alone. He don't care because it's a lie and it keeps you at a distance from Jesus. Luke, he ignores that whole discussion between Peter and Jesus, and he gets right to Jesus' explanation of why Peter's idea is so off. And this is so important, guys. Jesus, he says that to Peter, and then he turns to the disciples, and he says, I'm gonna tell you what it's gonna to take to follow me. And the reason he does that is because having followers that will only be satisfied with Christ on a throne, it means no real change has occurred in anyone's heart. No real change. If Jesus just expels the Romans and all the other bad people the Jews didn't like, it would mean no real change had occurred in anyone's heart. And it would have left us right as we are. And Jesus said, I don't want those kind of disciples because that's a lie too. And so Jesus, he explains what it means to follow him. In verse 23, he said to them, "All listen, a lot of guys have been leaving me. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the definition of a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. Let him means he must. If any man w- wants to come after me, he must, number one, deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means to say no to yourself. Really simple, to say no to yourself. Now, how often do you and I say no to ourselves? I was studying this this week, and man, that was convicting. I had to ask myself, what's the last time you said no to yourself, Will? It had been a while. And so as I was driving home that day, I said no like seven or eight times. I said no to Dunkin' Donuts. I said no to Comstock Creamery. I said no to all sorts of places that I would never be tempted by. But I was that day. I know that's a silly example, but when's the last time you said no to yourself? That should be an attribute of of your life as a Christian. That is a necessary attribute for a Christian's life that you say no to yourself on a regular basis. Of course, that starts with rejecting my trust in my own goodness, right? That's how I get saved. You say no to yourself. Well, I think I'm a good person. And you say, no, well, you're not. You're not a good person. You, you need the cross. You need a savior. And so you say no to yourself and to your own pride, your own idea of your own goodness. And then it culminates, of course, in that Romans twelve one through 2, Right? Therefore, uh, beloved brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God, because of all God's done for you, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable act of worship, and that you renew your mind, you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that your life would show what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That's where it culminates. You start where you, you deny your own goodness, you receive Christ, and then you continue to say no to yourself for the rest of your life as you grow and become that living sacrifice, Right? And that, that's what we do. That is is—that is the Christian life. Now, of course, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? It can get up off the altar. And, and it frequently does, especially when the knife is coming down. I did VR for the first time this week. And there was a T-Rex in front of me. I knew he was not there. And I could not look at that thing. Because <laughs> it was so real. So I had to say, no, I'm going to look at this thing because... and. But it's the same thing with our lives where we have to say no to ourselves. We see that knife coming. The Lord's saying, I'm going to cut something away you don't need. I'm going to put something to death in your life that you don't need anymore. And you go, yeah, but it's going to hurt. I think I need that still. And so we squirm off the altar and we go somewhere else, right? That's the problem with the living sacrifice. It gets up off the altar. So the Christian life is one of placing myself on the altar, back on the altar every single day, which is what the next part is. Not only do we say no to ourselves, but we take up our cross daily. We take up our cross daily. You know, the Romans, they required criminals that were going to crucifixion to carry their cross to the crucifixion site. They'd be paraded around on a death march so other people would learn, this is what happens if you do this, and it would be a deterrent. Following Jesus means a daily death march of our plans and desires as we submit everything to God, where we say, Lord, today, not my will, but your will be done. That's what this means. The Christian life is the life of a dead person. That's what it is, the life of a dead person. Obviously, it would be insensitive if we had a casket in front of us and I started insulting the person in the casket. But can I share something with you? If I did that, the person in the casket's not gonna get up and argue with me. They're not gonna get a look on their face and start crying. They're not gonna they're not gonna get offended because they're dead. That's how we're to be. Instead of reacting in anger, hurt, or frustration towards others, we're to reckon our life to be dead and to live instead in the supernatural, not the natural. We're to walk in forgiveness, in kindness, in mercy, and grace, just like Jesus did. We're to follow Jesus, that third part. We're to not say no to ourselves, take a daily death march of our own will, and do what Jesus did, follow his example. In 1 Peter chapter two, verses 21 through 24, Peter exhorts us with this exact thing. 1 Peter two, verses 21 through 24. For even hereunto were you called. This is what Christ called us to, the life he's called us to as a Christian. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What was his steps? Well, he did no sin. Neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. He walked uprightly. But then here it is, verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten people. When he experienced pain, he didn't threaten back. But instead, he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Now, how far did Jesus go in this? Who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree. He went all the way to the cross. That we, this is so that we could live a different life too, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes you're healed. We have been given a new life. So we can follow Jesus. When we say no to ourselves and we make that death march to our crucifixion site daily, we can follow then, follow Jesus, and live in the supernatural and not in the natural. Now, does that sound like Peter's confused version of being a disciple that only ends in a throne? Not at all. Peter's confused version of following Jesus didn't end in a cross. And thus, it would have left Peter and all the rest of us the way we are. And holding on to that way of life means we lose. Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Living for self is never successful. Saying yes to yourself repeatedly will never end in success. Because if you reject the cross and you make preserving your way of thinking and your way of living your goal, you will always lose the very thing you're trying to preserve because everybody dies. Everybody dies. You never get it. Whatever you've tried to achieve, even if you get it, you can't hold on to it because everybody dies. But if you give it up freely... To follow Jesus, and guess what? You get it back for all eternity. You get it back for all eternity, your whole life. But that's the daily struggle, isn't it? Do we trust him, right? Like when the Lord's going, no, 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 say no to yourself. And you're going, I don't want to say no to myself. And the Lord's like, no, it's better this way. If you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you save it. And you're going, I don't know if I believe that. Like in this moment, like generally I think I believe it, but in this moment, I don't know if I believe that. That's the struggle, isn't it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to say no to me to follow Christ in that moment, in that moment of temptation or in that moment of trial? Is it worth it? That's the struggle we all face. Now, Jesus knew he'd wrestle with that, so it's why he has more to say. He says, for what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world but lose himself or be cast away? What success, that's what advantage means, To means success in accomplishing a goal. When you set out to do a goal, what success will you find if you gain the whole world but lose yourself or be cast away? What have you accomplished if you get everything you strive for in life but you die with no hope in Christ? You're not gonna take any of it with you. It's funny because some people will say, well, I wanna have something that lasts forever, my legacy. Politicians are big on legacy. Celebrities are big on legacy. I I wanna have a legacy after I'm gone. You know, we just buried a patriot from our country and John McCain. Good man, good life and you know, made a sacrifice for our country. But can I tell you something? All those wonderful things that everyone said about him, he wasn't blushing in the casket. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm trying to be honest. He wasn't going, guys, now that's enough. You don't need to say that about me anymore. Whatever legacy he left behind that people were eulogizing had no impact on the man in the casket. None. None. He has no benefit from that. So Whatever you accomplish here, whether it's a legacy, whether it's possessions, whether it's position, whatever it might be, whatever it is you're striving after, even if you get it, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. All of it will be left behind. And if you don't know Christ, then you will suffer judgment for eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but in the business world, they call that a catastrophic loss. When you pour everything into something and you come out at the end with zero we call that a catastrophic loss. So is it worth it to give Jesus everything? Absolutely. Because anything you built apart from him, build apart from him will be lost anyway. And if you build your entire life without him, it will be a wasted life. Now, as you can imagine, this isn't exactly a rousing recruitment speech. Who wants to sign up to watch me suffer and die? Looking for disciples? Go into a crucifixion? Oh, and by the way, my disciples have to do the same. But you know what? Jesus' closest disciples need to know the truth as people are deserting him because he's not gonna sit on the throne of Israel yet. He will someday, but not yet. He's going to die on a cross. And here's the thing. If that makes him unworthy of their trust, then they weren't real disciples. And so in verse 26, he says, "'For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, "'of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed "'when he shall come in his own glory.'" And in his fathers, and of that of the holy angels. So many in Israel, they wanted national glory again. We want to be our own nation again. We want to run ourselves. No more Romans. You know, no more pagans. Just us. And their thought was that as long as you get rid of them, we're good. We don't need any help, Jesus, aside from getting rid of the Romans. Get rid of the pagans. Get rid of all the bad people. And maybe some of our people we don't like. But you know, that list just goes on and on and on. It's everybody but me. Get rid of everybody but me and the people I like. But see, that's why Jesus had to die. See, so many in Israel clung to the idea that they actually had a glory while they were doing their own thing. Others are the problem, not us. And often we think the same thing today. I'm good, God. Just get rid of all these nasty circumstances and all the nasty people who cause them and the world will be fine. And so we get frustrated with God when he doesn't do that, even though he's using those things to change us. And if that kind of God offends you, You'll end up not following his commands. You'll stop reading your Bible, stop going to church, stop really doing a lot of the things he says because you're after your own glory still. You think you actually have a glory without him. Now what's sad is that any glory I achieve here will go up in smoke when Jesus comes back in his glory. The Lord's even the spiritual things we accomplished, like, like the Lord's not going to come back and set up his kingdom in Israel, you know, the new temple, and here's New Jerusalem up there in the sky. And he's gonna look over and go, Will, you build something awesome, you know, I that's great, you can have your thing, I'll do my thing. And what no, 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 there'll be one king, and the only thing that will remain is what I did because I just simply loved him and I wanted to obey him and please him, and I was faithful to do it. That's it now. Ultimately, what lasts forever like that? People, the investment you make in their lives, that's what lasts. So the people around you, that'll be what your reward will be in a sense. And then the crowns you get for it as well. Now for the unbeliever, you might consider yourself to be religious. Well, I'm a religious person. The Bible says if if you're still after your own glory though, or you think you have a glory of your own, the Bible says you'll be completely lost. Jesus says, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in your name? In your name, did we not cast out demons? Did we not, have we not done many wonderful works? Didn't we do all sorts of things for people? But then he will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That phrase, I never knew you, means we were never in an approving relationship. Like you thought you you were good with God, but God was never good with you. And so he says, you'll be lost. So if you think you've got your own glory, that you don't need a savior, you don't need the cross, then you're gonna be lost forever. But for the believer, I think we can fall into the, a self-sufficient mentality as well. And the Bible says that some of our lives then will be, end up wasted. For in the same way it says that there'll be crowns we'll get, it also says that some will suffer loss. As some of our work that we do for God will be wood, hay, and stubble. And when his perfect eyes, you know, of, of holiness will look on that, it says it'll go up in smoke. You don't want it to last, trust me. It'll go up in smoke and we'll suffer loss. And so we don't want some of our lives to be wasted, right? Doesn't it sound better to lose your life now? <laughs> to trust Jesus with everything? As we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning and the ushers are gonna get the elements in a moment, the worship team's gonna come on up. And, uh, and as they do, what better time to recommit that to the Lord? God is frequently critiqued for allowing evil or catastrophe. Well, if God were love, he'd prevent all that from happening can I ask you a question? Let's say he did. How would that change you on the inside? Would that make you a different person on the inside? No. How about we go a step further? Let's say Jesus set up his throne right now, right now, and he eliminated poverty, disease, and crime. Would any of that change who we really are on the inside? It wouldn't. It wouldn't. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says when Jesus does return, he will eliminate sickness, poverty, and crime. He'll force both nature and people to do what is exactly right. It will be a perfect utopia. It will be his kingdom operating on earth like it does in heaven. In heaven, everything's perfect there. And it will operate here like it does there. And we'll have that for a 1,000 years. But guess what man will do after those 1,000 years? They will say, we don't want you to be king anymore. We want to rule ourselves. We think we have a, a glory that's just fine without You. See, the reason Jesus went to the cross back then is the same reason we need the cross today. Because we need to be renewed from the inside. We need to be born again. Because left to ourselves, Jesus for president or not, we rot on the inside. And God loved us too much to leave us there. So that's the good news. The Son of God became a man, lived like we do, experienced all of our pain. He offered us the kingdom, but we rejected him. So he died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead back to life so we might be justified. And now everyone who repents of their sins and puts their faith in him receives eternal life, new life, real change, even though we don't see things the way they should be yet. We can still have him living inside of us, changing us, even though he's not on the throne yet. And that's our job now. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember what he is, And what in his love he did to give us that new life. So what better time to remember what he did in his love and to renew our commitment to deny ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following him. Amen? If you're here this morning and you've never experienced that kind of relationship with Jesus, maybe you've always had a, a distance relationship with him. It's real simple to fix that. All you need to do is repent of your sin. What does that mean? It means you change your mind. You thought it was okay going the direction you're going and you say, nope, it's not. I'm not okay. My glory, my goodness, not there. This man came and died. God came and died for my sins. And I believe that now. And so I turn around and I give you my life. The Bible says when you do that, he'll wash away all your sins. He'll forgive you. And he'll come and live inside you and begin to bring real change from the inside. And as we take the Lord's Supper today, if, if you have never done that, I'm gonna give you an opportunity as we pray to do that so we can all celebrate together as believers. So Lord, we, we come to you now and we thank you for um, the, the special time we're about to have where we reflect and remember what you did for us. But Lord, we also take this time to make that fresh commitment, Lord, that we wanna be those who say no to ourselves, who make that daily death march to say not my will but yours be done. And then to live in the supernatural, Lord, to live like you did. Lord, as we have this time, give us a deeper understanding of what you did for us, how much you love us, so that decision of surrender will be sweeter.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.